millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who can never resist a good butt joint joke. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right. Welcome to show 443 for July 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about outdoor finish options. What's the deal with the Delve Square? Delve Square? <laughs> the D-E-L-V-E Square? Uh, plywood safety, applying Endurovar, making gifts for other woodworkers, expired finishes, and soundproofing the shop. And uh, this is our second recording for the day, so there's really nothing to talk about on the bench. But I do have an article here in our what's new area. And this is from Chris. He says, my two hobbies may be colliding. This is actually interesting. I did not read the full article, but the gist of it is that they are using wood to make drinkable alcohol. So it's a, what is this publication? SCMP.com. You guys know what that is? I never heard of it. Oh, okay. Nope. Anyway, it's a website. And the, is this real? Did we, did you bet this? Of course I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, of course I. It says like so, uh, like a joke news website for all you know. The Onion. Yeah, it's a <laughs> subdomain of the Onion. Uh, Japanese researchers <laughs> hope to be the first to turn wood into booze. So they've come up with a process, and I guess they've made like uh, wood alcohol or wood-based alcohol in the past. Part of the process involves some chemicals and heat treatment that makes it something that you cannot drink but this is a new process that involves kind of pulverizing and mushing this stuff up with water and then adding enzymes allowing it to ferment and it's not a hot process so it's something that actually retains a lot of the scent and flavor of the woods being used so they are running through this process to hopefully be able to actually create really unique types of alcohol that you could totally drink it and it won't make you go blind (laughs) so that's good (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, uh, check out the article, um, you know, and then let me know if it's actually legit or not, since I didn't do that. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't sound too crazy. It sounds fine, but we'll see where that goes. 
Uh, all right, so that's actually all we had for what's new. So let's get into our kickback. And I've got a whole heap of voicemail questions here. Bear with me because I closed the darn window. I'm never prepared for the second show. All right, all right, here we go. So we got Brian here. He's got a question about outdoor finishes. Hey guys, Brian Schmidt from Norrell, Massachusetts here. I am finishing up a build for a large white oak table and I'm considering how to finish it. It's going to be outside year round and an upholsterer friend of ours is going to be making a cover for it. Uh, right now I have three potential options for finishing. Uh, CPES followed by Epiphanes um, or just a simple oil or oil varnish blend finish or just leave it as is and go on natural. Uh, we have some teak furniture out there already which is nice and gray so if the new table becomes weathered it should match okay. Uh, in terms of maintenance if we do decide to finish it I'd rather do a simple refresh with oil uh, every year rather than have to strip and refinish the, the Epiphanes or the CPS you know, every three to five years. If for no other reason, this thing is 45 inches wide and nine feet long. So I'd like to move it as little as possible. Thanks for any advice and thanks for not quitting. All right. Well, I think the fact that he has a cover for this thing means yeah. that just about any finish is pun intended on the table. No. How's that? Like that? Mr. Funny today. Didn't even prepare for that. Watch out. It's just, it comes natural. <laughs> All right. Um, so the fact that he's got a cover kind of, I mean, that's the worst part of this experience for outdoor furniture is UV exposure and the, the cold and well, it's still going to get cold and hot, but UV and moisture and the cover prevents those two things. So I think he really has like, it sounds like he's not that into the Epiphanes uh, CPES route anyway. It's not that into it. Not that into it. And it sounds like he's got the best case scenario for that. So if he does go with a lighter duty, uh, teak oil, just some kind of a oil based product that I don't even think he'd need to apply it every year, but I think the table is going to stay in fairly decent condition if he's going to cover it. Why is he remember to cover it? Right. Yeah, there's, there's the breakdown. <laughs> I have a cover. I don't know where it is. Oh, and I'll, and it's it. Not even remembering, at least for me, it's pure laziness. I had a custom, not custom, they were like, they were purchased specifically in that size range for my Adirondack chairs. Where are those covers? I have no idea. Somewhere in Arizona. Yeah. Arizona. Because, well, actually, you want to know what happened. I put one on the ground and left it there so long that a neighborhood cat peed in it. And then I went to pick it up and I was like, whoa, Baby, I'm not ever touching that again. So the covers were gone. But it was laziness. I was actually too lazy to do that. And here's the other thing, too. Like, you, the whole point of a cover is to protect it. But the po- the problem with this is, like, I like to look at my furniture, the things that I've yeah. made. And, and I want it on display. And nothing is uglier than a piece of furniture with a cover on it. Especially, like, during the, the season that you actually use it. So that that's the problem with covers is that a lot of times you're you're not as apt to use them when you when you really should be using them. So anyway, back on the finish. What well, well, let's let's take the epoxy and the varnish off, you know, off the menu here because it sounds like it doesn't really want to do that. Um you guys think just a simple some kind of an oil finish, a renewable oil finish is probably going to be fine. Either of you in favor of doing nothing at all? I don't know. I've never done nothing at all. <laughs> on, on white oak, I guess. I don't know. On this show, so sometimes you. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh. Um, you know, white oak, I found like 
from just my limited experience of, of pieces that have been left outside and exposed outside without at least some kind of protection, it kind of wants to split and crack a lot. So, you know, with limited finish on it, I mean, it might still hold itself together, but it seems like there's just a lot of stress fractures and, and just like in the middle of the board, you start to see these, these cracks take place. So I I would be nervous to to do nothing at all. I feel like there's gotta be something on there. Well, I also think that it's not, it's not unattractive, but there it's kind of bland without a finish on it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's dull in color, but if you did put an oil, you're going to get a lot more luster and depth, and it's just going to look prettier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it will go, it will gray like his teak furniture, but, you know, it doesn't have the natural oil and resin that teak does that allows it to gray gracefully. And I think that's what you're talking about, Mark, is it just dries out really fast, and you get surface checking and things like that, because it is actually a very porous wood. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted the pores in white oak are filled with essentially caulk uh, it's called Tylos. So that makes it great outdoor wood, but they're still big, big giant pores that are almost like perforation points that as it dries out, you'll see that checking. So, I mean, to me, I say, keep it simple. I mean, you could even buy like a good quality decking oil, like a Mesmer's decking oil or something like that, because it's super, super easy to reapply. You mm-hmm. just, wipe the stuff on and then maybe next year wipe on some more or not two years from now or something. Well, and if you don't like the graying either, this is a good opportunity to use that oil because every year you can kind of just refresh it, give it a light sanding and you could bring back that really rich color and prevent that graying, which is, you know, something that would just naturally happen over time. If you did nothing, I personally, I don't like gray weathered furniture uh, at mm-hmm. all. So I would want something that would require me to actually work the surface a little bit and get some of that grade material off the surface. The issue with some of the, you know, the teak oils and things like that is, is it really an oil? You know, how much varnish is actually in that Danish oil mm-hmm. and that teak oil and that walnut oil, that tongue oil, is it actually tongue oil, even though it says tongue oil on the outside. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of the, um, I say a lot, most of the decking finishes are just oils. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there is no film finish in there. It's just a penetrating finish. That's all it's meant to go on there. And you're usually a little bit safer going with a deck product than some of the furniture products. Cause they tend to be sneaky and have varnish in them. Sneaky, sneaky. I don't know though. When I go and look at deck products, I get even more confused. Like when you yeah. just look at the, the sheer variety of stuff <laughs> that's in like home Depot for decking, I just like, Whoa. And I, I, I like to think I know a little bit about finishing products and I'm, totally lost when I look at that stuff. Yeah. You'll notice that's why I said a quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, sure. Probably you're not going to find it at, at a big box store. Right. Um, go to, go to like a paint store, like a Sherwin Williams. Yeah, they may go. actually have some of those. Um, but Mesmer's M E S S M E R is a really good brand for decking oils. Um, we sell it, you know, by the truckload lately, gallon after gallon of it for tropical wood decks. It's just mm-hmm. a really good, it's like the general finishes of decking oils. It's highly refined, good quality resins, things like that. Cool. All right. Got another question here. This one, actually it's a, uh, another data point for this whole helical head business we've been talking about. Hey guys, this is Craig Ryder in Wiley, Texas again. So I'm the one that originally called in about the helical head, uh, upgrade and whether or not that leads to power loss at the motor. And you had, uh, one caller, uh, Matt call in this last week and he 
gave you your, as Shannon called it, the first data point. Um, and I just wanted to, to let you know, I recently was working in the shop and I had Rod, Rob Cosman playing on the TV in the background. And I just happened to overhear him during one of his shop tours talk about um, power loss from the helical head. And he actually thinks it's on the order of magnitude, of, in his case, of a third of a horsepower loss. And he was talking about upgrading his motor to compensate. But anyway, I'll, I'll share that link here. And it's at about the eight-minute mark. And, again, it's not to, as uh, Mark said, poo-poo on anything. But um, I just want to point it out because I had heard from other woodworkers the same thing when switching their, their hobby, you know, their smaller planers to these uh, upgraded helical heads. That it's not just that you get these better cuts and everything, but you also have to compensate for the amount of power loss. And it's something to consider because I'm an engineer. I like to know all the things that I'm going to get beginning when I either upgrade a tool or buy a new tool. So just like to put all that out there in case others are experiencing the same thing or if they're looking to upgrade and they want to know that ahead of time. Well, look, first mistake is you're listening to Rob Cosman. Don't that guy, what's he know? There's your first problem. <laughs> that, guy, that guy don't know nothing. <laughs> Well, to further expound on this, I think it was on Facebook. Freddie Roman also threw another data point out. He there. did. There yes. was another professional. Well, I think it was Facebook who said that he's experienced this as well. So yep. mm-hmm. second or third data point, depending on whether or not you like Rob Cosman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Rob. Everybody knows that. Um, yeah. And this it's funny. I mean, this is just something that hasn't been a problem for us. And we kind of dismissed it initially. But, you know, as time goes on, we're getting more feedback on it. And it sounds like it can be potentially an issue for people. So uh, all I could say is just buy better planers, guys. Come on. What are you doing? You Spend more money. Okay. Uh, Joshua has a question about the Del- Delve? Del- Delve? Delve Square. Delve. Hey, guys. This is Josh from Southern California. And I wanted to get your opinion on the new one-time tool from Woodpecker, the Delve Square SS. I picked up the hobby a couple years ago and have been getting by with a 12-inch combo square from a big box store. But I've been on the lookout for another tool that has a few more features. These Delve Squares have a lot of features and it seems that the $180 price tag for the pair of them, 3.5-inch and 6-inch models with the protective case, seems to be worth it. But being a newish woodworker, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion uh, to see if some of those features that are built into the tools would actually be used. I enjoy the show, and thanks for not knitting. <laughs> I love nice. that. Well done. <clears throat> that's that's probably that's like a double whammy reference like from the show. Thanks for not knitting. That's that was good. Okay. So if you haven't seen the square. Um, it's, it's one of their one-time tools, so you can only order for a short period of time, and then you'll probably have to wait a year for it to come in. <laughs> it's like what usually happens. <laughs> Maybe not a year, but it's usually a long wait. Um, so the thing with the square is it's got a lot of like built-in measurements on it. So imagine you're working with like uh, a standard... Um, what do you call it? Like a standard adjustable square and the body of it, like the, the, the body thing that the, the ruler slides in and out of, if that has a particular name, like let's say those dimensions are exactly three quarters by a half by three, you know, so everything, every aspect of it has some sort of round number dimension or some useful dimension. And then of course it's got all of the measurements on it and all the little holes that they like to have. So you could put a mechanical pencil lead in there. So it's just got a lot going on and, um, it's, it, I guess is super duper useful. That said, I have no inclination to buy this thing. <laughs> 
And, and I don't know what it is. Like a lot of times things like this, they're great in theory, but in practice, I don't often use a setup gauge to set my table saw height because first of all, I can never get it exactly right. So I'm going to have to run a test cut anyway. And if I'm going to do that, I may as well just test it, measure it. And when it's right, it's right. Um, so stuff like this that has all of these cool features in it, if you don't have a good square yet, it's probably a good one to have because it seems to do a lot of things. Uh, but if you already have some squares, you know, he's saying he's a beginning woodworker. Is this a, a good investment? it's it's really hard, especially the one-time tools, for any beginning woodworker to say that this stuff is a good investment. It's a, like a lot of the stuff they do is really awesome creature comfort things that tend to only be a good investment when you've been in it for a while and you're frustrated by this like one little thing and they solved it. You know, so something like this as an all-around square, do you guys know anything about uh, th- this square that's coming out? Looking at the uh, website page right now, so, why is this better than a speed square? Besides the <laughs> fact that it can be used like with the setup blocks and it's got the holes in it, like the Incra, whatever that thing is, it has the holes in it, just like that? Those two reasons are the primary ones. You've got setup block <laughs> aspects to it. I think every measurement on this thing or every dimension on this thing has been done with, like, there's a thought behind it. There's a reason why that thing is exactly that dimension. Nothing is randomized on this. So there's like a three-eighth step, a half-inch step, a three-quarter-inch wide base, all yeah, those go holes. Grab, go grab your drill bits and use your drill bits as a guy, as a gauge Yeah, if you need to do that. I don't know. I mean, how, mu- how much is this? Hmm. Well, it's a set, and uh, you know how they do it. They, they've got different sets. So it looks like you can get both of them for $179. Yeah, okay, so in your beginner woodworker, you're going to spend $179 on a square. See, what the, kind of beginner woodworker spends $179 on a square? The kind who has a lot of money. Okay. Well, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I have no problem with people spending money however they want to spend it. But if you're looking at this like, this could change my life in the shop. I don't even have a router yet. I'll go spend $180 on a router. Yeah. See, well, that's my point. Know. For a beginning woodworker, anything in the one-time tool line seems inappropriate. Like if you've got the money and you want to you want to buy it, go ahead. But inappropriate, I like that word. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's it's not going to be that much of a necessity. You know, it's not going to solve that many problems for you that you couldn't solve in other more common and less expensive ways. Well, I think you said it best. You don't know the problems that this solves yet, so it's kind of superfluous in all aspects you know until you've had that issue and go wow finally somebody solved this then it's worthwhile Mm -hmm. but not as something to start with yeah it is interesting i mean they they that's what woodpecker does you know they make some amazing uh awesome little tools that are just it's kind of a dream come true for woodworkers because you go man i wish someone would just like dedicate their business to making these really niche products and that, that's kind of what this stuff is. So it's super fun. I mean, I love the line of tools, but to say that it's anything that a beginner absolutely would need is, is just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of silly. I don't think it would really matter that much, but if you've got the money, man. If you've got the money burning a hole in your pocket, go for it. I find that their stuff in general is far more precise than I would ever, 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 ever need. Oh, shut your mouth. <laughs> Don't ever say Don't that. Don't be inappropriate. That's, probably, that's, that's inappropriate. That's a poor reflection on my own skills. But it's just, you are a hand tool woodworker, so close enough is good enough. All this would do is make me feel bad about myself. Like, <laughs> I thought I was square, but Woodpecker says you suck. Yeah. So, 
I don't know. Some of this stuff is cool though, with the holes in it. That is one thing. Uh, you know, we talked about repetitive stress and getting older, uh, recently. One of the things that I've talked to, uh, especially early on when I was teaching people who are maybe, you know, potentially twice my age, they would say, watch out. Cause when you get older and you can't see as well, sometimes those, um, uh, not just woodpeckers, but, um, oh, what's the other brand? Incra. Um, those measuring devices that allow you to put the pencil into the little teeny tiny hole are great because if you can't, your eyes can't really resolve that, that measurement, that 64th very well. Um, you've got this nice series of holes that are just a no brainer. It's, it's there when it's there. Uh, so some of the, I mean, some of the stuff is really cool, but what you're going to do actually, you know, let us know if you guys are really big fans of this, you think we're giving bad advice by saying, don't spend 120 bucks on a set of squares. Let us know about it. I think it comes with a pencil though, Matt. So comes the pencil. Oh, good. <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's probably the most useful part of this tool. Because I never have a pencil in the shop. I always lose them anyway. Oh. So you know what? Maybe it's worth it. Yeah. Well, look, point. you're buying this pencil and you get two squares for free. Think of it that way. <laughs> I, I like the way you think about that. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right. So we got another uh, voicemail here from Andy. Hey, fellas, this is Andy Sims calling from Atlanta, Georgia. First of all, I just want to throw a big thank you out to Mark's wife, Nicole, sending me your chisels. Although I think poops, you're probably going to get the last laugh on this one because it's going to take me a good five or six hours of getting those things to anywhere close to what anyone would call sharp. (laughs) Anyways, just wanted to call and tell a quick story. Uh, A couple months ago, I was in the kitchen making some dinner when I asked Google to play the latest Woodtop podcast. Google had no clue who you guys were, so instead she decided to play the uh, podcast from the, uh, let's say, more monotone, less flatulent guys at the magazine office. <laughs> Happened to be the uh, episode where they're walking around their convention asking woodworkers a series of questions. One of those questions happened to be, uh, who is your greatest influence in woodworking? So was, uh, all I kept hearing was not David Marks, not Norm Abrams. But all I kept hearing was a wood whisperer or uh, Mark Spagnola really got me into woodworking, really got me interested, has taught me a lot. And I thought, man, that's great. He really has done a lot for the woodworking community. And then I thought, man, his ego is going to inflate the size of a hot air balloon. He's going to soar off into the atmosphere. So I decided to take it on myself any chance I could, throw a couple jabs Mark's way, see if I can bring him back down to earth a couple times. But then, that being said, a couple days ago, I was on Instagram, and I see Mark has a new story. So I click on it, and unfortunately, I see a shirtless Mark in his kitchen (laughs) on his phone. And then I hear Nicole say, hey, Mark. And Mark turns his head, and then all I see is the purtiest, dangliest, reddest earrings hanging from Mark's ears. First of all, those were purple and not red. But the rest of this is true. thought I had was, you know what? It's not my job to bring Mark back to the earth. He's got a wife that has that all under control. <laughs> so anyways, I'm not at three minutes yet, so I figure I can ask a quick question. I kind of want to be the kind of woodworker that, you know, kind of like Matt, where you start from the tree, you saw it, you build it up from the ground, and end up with nice furniture. And I kind of like to do that with everything that I do uh, with my craft. So I know where you guys get your uh, strop leather from. And uh, going to my neighbor's house at the horse farm has been a little dangerous, not only from the neighbor, but those horses like to bite and kick. So I haven't really been able to figure that one out yet. Next thing I want to figure out, though, is uh, I guess you'd call us a glue question. Um, I'm trying to figure out where you can get your hide glue. And I just wanted to ask you guys what you thought 
would be the best resource from household pets to find hide glue. Anyways, I know you guys like those glue questions, so I threw that one out to you. Hope you guys have a great time. Talk to you soon. And uh, bye. Several, oh, yeah. several, Thanks oops. for not quitting. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> several times I actually thought he was asking a serious question. <laughs> and I was like, oh, from household pets. All right, well, okay, maybe not. Yeah, goldfish. Fish glue. I think Dougie would make a really nice glue. Great. <laughs> and copious amounts of it, I think. Very sticky. Yes. Very sticky. Such very craze. Very fatty. You know, make a nice glue. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes with this dog, let me tell you. I wouldn't mind. Um, okie dokie. So thanks for that, Andy. Really appreciate it. And look, you don't have to worry about my head getting too big. Part part of my lifestyle is getting kicked in the nuts by online comments. Right? <laughs> it's just it's it's a way of life for me. So anytime I'm feeling good about myself, I have to do one quick thing and it solves it. I go to YouTube and I read comments and then suddenly, you know, I'm depressed. So don't worry about my head getting too big. It's not going to happen. But those chisels weren't that bad. Shut up. Um, (laughs) All right. I think the last person to use those was Matt when he was here. So who knows what condition they're in. Probably pretty good. Better than where we went and got there. Think about how bad they were. I was like, oh, you want these sharpened before you use them? Hold on. Give me a minute. All right. So let's get into some emails over here. First one is from Alyssa. Elisa. Elisa. I'm going to go with Elisa. Uh, I've been curious if anyone ever has concerns about the safety of plywood in regards to formaldehyde. I guess is what she said. So I guess formaldehyde. Uh, is this just me thinking about it too much? I wear protective equipment when cutting, but was uh, also wondering if there's an effect in my home. Is Pure Bond really any safer? Also wondering where to buy quality plywood. Have you ever bought at Home Depot or Lowe's? Uh, relatively new woodworker, so not sure where to buy different species of plywood. I'm also a knitter on occasion. Oh, I didn't even read that part. I would not have read this question if that were the case. Is that bad? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, thanks for your content. Really enjoy listening to you guys. All right, so here's the deal. I don't know. I mean, realistically, when it comes to plywood, the the concern, and you'll find, especially if you go on uh, housing sites, you know, where they're, they're uh, what is it? Uh, what it was the, the, the verification or the uh, certification? Is it leads or something like that? Shannon, you know well, what I'm talking about. Yeah, Green Building Council looks for leads points, but you may be looking at um, national else. home builders association NAHB, or uh, carb. Yeah. So, know, so basically like using materials that, that don't have the potential to off gas dangerous chemicals. And if you're using lots right. of MDF products, uh, a lot of um, you know, furniture that's been manufactured out of the country, uh, there's a lot of concern for these things in your home. So the, what, what she's really getting at here is the plywood and the adhesives used between those layers of ply. Is that stuff dangerous in the form of furniture and multiple pieces of furniture uh, in the home? And I honestly don't know. I, 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 my gut says a lot of this concern, especially if you're just buying decent quality material uh, that doesn't immediately smell like a chemical. <laughs> like, uh, have you guys ever seen like right off the stack of, you know, Chinese plywood over at Home Depot, you can kind of just walk by it and you can smell something that does not smell like wood. Like there's something to it. Um, but, you know, if you buy a decent quality material and you put a good quality finish on it, I usually don't worry about it. 
but there is not a scientific basis behind that or medical basis behind that. I just don't, I mean, I don't use tons of plywood in my work anyway, so it's not that big of a deal for me, but are either of you concerned or you think people should be concerned about, you know, plywoods and how much of that stuff they put into their home? Not really. Um, if you live in California, not at all, uh, because <laughs> right. the California Air Again, Resource no, no Bureau. Choice. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you can't even bring it into the state um, unless the formaldehyde current. I don't know what the parts per million is, but it's such a tiny parts per million. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But here's the thing. The California market is so large in North America that most manufacturers just make everything carb compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so North American manufacturers, if you're buying a North American plywood, it's nothing to worry about. It's the Chinese plywood you have to worry about. But if you're going to Home Depot and any large retailer that's buying large quantities of this stuff, they are being monitored so closely for the um, parts per million of formaldehyde. Um, Lumber Liquidators just got busted on this, what, two years ago mm. because they were supposed to be meeting a formaldehyde content in their um, engineered flooring, the plywood base with a, a, a wood veneer on top. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do their due diligence to verify that the mill in China that was doing it was actually meeting those parts per million requirements. And, you know, there was recorded footage in a factory that actually showed that you know, they were just stamping the crate saying, yes, it's compliant. And no one was actually Jeez. actually doing it. Yeah. Um, but but the reason they got caught is they import so much of the material. So they are way on the radar um, as is Home Depot, as is Lowe's. So if you're buying from a big box store like that, there's a fair bet that those checks and balances have been done. And there's also so much risk on the part of the um, retailer that they've got their due diligence in place. In many instances, they have mills entirely dedicated to producing material for Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And they have their own auditors, their own GMOs, all their own people that are out there doing all this stuff and have a you know, a, um, chain of custody document trail all the way back to you know the beginning. That's not to say that some of this stuff doesn't have you know, a higher parts per million count in it. So, but here's the other thing. Chinese plywood sucks. Like it's not just for formaldehyde, it's the voids just and the terrible glue turns a into a potato chip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll find the veneers aren't dried properly, which is why it cups so badly. You'll find many instances where there's no glue at all between the layers. Mm-hmm. They're just stuck together because of the moisture and the heat press because the glue roller, like the glue bin on the production line ran out and you know, whatever the, the employer that was the employee that was working that, you know, he refilled it, but there was, they didn't shut down the line. So like 30 sheets were produced <laughs> and no glue was rolled on. It oh, well, it'll be fine. All the time. It's going in the middle of the stack. No one will ever notice. Yeah. And, and exactly. <laughs> when, and when you put the, the pressure and the heat that's put on these plywood cores, when they're, when they're uh, assembled <laughs> is enough to hold that stuff together. 
for a while, you know, yeah. and then it starts to delaminate. It's just, it's not material you want to work with anyway, whether it had formaldehyde in it or not. So in the, for the most part, if you're buying plywood, it's just better to buy North American plywood. You're going to get a better quality stuff. And Home Depot and Lowe's do carry America, our North American plywood. Columbia Forest Products is a major supplier to both of them. Columbia Forest Products, when CARB came out and said you have to have X parts per million formaldehyde, they ditched it altogether. They changed the glue to a soy-based glue, and there's no formaldehyde whatsoever. And they looked at it and said, well, why would we continue to produce some plywood with formaldehyde and some plywood mm-hmm. with the soy glue? Because then we have to have two separate production lines. So they ditched it all together and went with the soy glue. So Columbia Forest has been formaldehyde-free for, I think, 15 years. And that's all under Pure, Bron- Pure Bond brand, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, okay. they're, 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 they own everything. Right. They're like the 10,000-pound gorilla of plywood. So I think it's it's really not something you have to worry about um, when it comes to furniture making plywood. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for like the OSBs and things like that because I, I, I just don't know. I don't deal in that product. And to answer your other question about where to go, I mean, like you just said, you might be able to find something decent at Home Depot or Lowe's. But you're honestly better off finding a good hardwood dealer. And typically, decent hardwood dealers also deal in really good quality plywoods as well. So they're going to have the varieties, the species you're looking for, the the different uh, cuts if you're looking for something on, whatever it is. So look at your hardwood dealers, call around and ask and see what they have in terms of plywood. And also, um, you know, different cores. You know, you don't always want the same type of core depending on the uh, application. So look elsewhere um, other than Home Depot and Lowe's and you'll probably have better luck. Yeah. All right. Shannon, you're up. Okay. Um, that was kind of a lumber industry update. That was. We should have played the song. Day. Darn it. <laughs> Not the intention. Um, uh, this is from somebody. It's from Justin. He says, I'm a longtime fan of all three of your work. This is a finishing question specifically about general finishes in Durovar. I read somewhere that Shannon's a big fan of Endurovar. I've tried it on several projects, and I've always had a terrible time with it. I love the color it imparts and the look of it, but the application is a headache. I end up with really thin little sags, runs, and brush strokes, no matter how careful I am. It doesn't seem to self-level very well at all. The back of the can also says to apply at least three coats, which in my experience builds up a really thick plastic-like film. The thick film was sort of okay on my Wood Whisperer kitchen step stool, knowing that the kit is covering it with stickers and ketchup, but for other pieces like <laughs> last year's Christmas gifts, it's a real bummer to get such poor results. It seems like maybe brushing is the wrong technique, I've tried every kind of brush there is, and it doesn't even matter. Maybe I'm crazy for reading the back of the can. Should I be wiping it on, spraying it? I don't have a spray setup, and I don't really want to do that. Should I be thinning it? Much of my experience is with the oil-based poly, and this stuff behaves very different from that. Um, hmm. Wow. Yeah. I- I've had none of these experiences with Endurovar. Um, I do brush it on, but anytime I'm brushing something, I've got a rag in my other hand. So, um, and specifically for vertical surfaces, um, you know, he's talking about runs and sags. Well, that that's gravity, right? So there's a vertical surface there. Um, there's finish application technique. Like if you're doing like a horizontal surface, like a tabletop, as you come to the edge, you're going to get drips that run over the edge. So I always have that rag to come back and kind of run it under the edge to make sure there are no drips. But likewise, as I said, if you're doing a vertical surface, it's a brushing, ragging technique to kind of catch the excess material. I have never had to thin Endurovar. I've thought about it before, 
but then I've always had really good experience with it. It's a relatively thin um, product to begin with. So I would, I would recommend, I mean, good quality brushes can be nice. You know, water-based finishes will do well with a good quality brush, but I've also used a cheap foam brush, you know, the buy 20 of them for $2 mm-hmm. because I've got a rag in the other hand. It's not so much the brush is just the transport to get it from, you know, the, the can or whatever to the surface, flow it out and then wipe it down after that. And that may be, will, will give you a little bit better result if you're running into issues. Um, the other thing is, is, and this is like, is it plugged in type question, but did you stir it? Like, is it a satin Endurovar? Because you might want to stir it. Um, you know, if you're getting a weird look to the whole thing, but even then that's just the, the solids that cause the satin sheen. If it's the gloss, you really don't need to stir it. Um, but the, the whole thick plastic like film, I usually do three to four coats of Endurovar and I, I don't have that same, same issue. So hmm. I hate to say that you got a bad batch, but, um, as far as the rag runs and sags and things, wiping will definitely help with that. Hmm. Interesting. I've only sprayed it myself. I've never applied yeah, it any I've other way. I've sprayed it. Sprayed it too, and it was great result there. I mean, yeah. I am a big fan of it because I've sprayed it, I brushed it, I've wiped it, and it's awesome every single time. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And what do we have? I think it's Matt. Oh, it's me. You up? Oh, hello, Shannon, Matt, and Mark. Your podcast is excellent. Thank you for not quitting. About five years ago, an older gentleman in my area allowed me to help him build a wooden boat, and this experience get, got me started in woodworking. I want, I want to make a gift for him to show my gratitude, but I want it to be something he can use. I was thinking of possibly a small table or something of that sort. The problem is, anything I make for him will be something he could have made better for himself, but I suppose it's a thought that counts. If you have any suggestions as to a gift that would be useful and meaningful, I would definitely appreciate it. Keep the good work, guys. Steven. Uh, I, I don't know. Honestly, it's like it's the thought that counts. Yeah. But it's, if someone was like making me something, it's the thought that counts, and I wouldn't really care necessarily as much about what it is. But maybe, oh, I don't know. You could do like a screwdriver handle or some kind of tool handle type of thing that you could use in the shop, or I don't know, something like that. Maybe. But I mean, really, it just like I think if it's just like something you made, like I made this by myself without your help. But, you know, I use some technique or I use some some inspiration from our time together. It, it's all about selling it, to be honest. Yeah. You just got to sell it <laughs> as uh, you put a lot of thought into it because it is a thought that counts. And he'll be happy. Reg- I'm sure unless this guy is like is probably not, you know, an a-hole, you know, he's probably going to like it no matter what. He might get it and go, uh, there are nubs in this finish. <laughs> did you even, uh, did you even you try to finish it? Corner. <laughs> please, please don't tell anybody I taught you how to cut dovetail like this. <laughs> right. Uh, this is not my fault. Um, you know, actually, I've, I've gotten a few gifts from other woodworkers. And what I found is it doesn't matter what they gave me. The fact that right. somebody took the time to make this thing for me and it, it, it's not a comparison of skill in any way. Um, I've always been super appreciative of anything anyone has made by hand for me. So think of it that way. I think most woodworkers are going to be like that. Just the gesture, the fact that you took the time to make this thing for him, even if it's something he has 10 others of already, you know, or something that's just completely not something he needs. I think most people would appreciate it. It's like Matt said, it's the thought that counts with something like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do that. But as far as gifts, man, uh, you had some good suggestions. I like where you're going. Like a, a something shop tool related or something, something shop related is, is always a good bet. Cause even if it's a redundant thing, you know, it's still nice to have. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, let's see. This is for me. Um, It's from Andy. He says, I'm planning on building a writing desk, which will contain about eight dovetail drawers. I have various shop-made veneers about an eighth of an inch thick, and I'm thinking of attaching the veneer to the through dovetail drawer fronts to give the appearance of half-blind dovetails. I'd love to know how you would go about doing this. Would you make the veneer thinner? I have a drum sander. Would you use, would you attach the veneer prior to gluing the drawer together? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Um, I have done this, Andy. My um, tool cabinet has veneered um, mahogany drawer fronts on the, um, uh, whatever it is, maple, soft maple uh, sides and back and all that fun stuff. I actually went with a little bit thicker. I think it's about three sixteenths of an inch. Eighth of an inch would have been just fine. Um, And I just glued it on. (laughs) I, I, I made through dovetail drawers. Um, and I generally, when I'm building a case, I make my drawers a little bit shallower than the case itself. So you can put in a, you know, a stop or something, and I will fine tune it so that it's flush to the front of the case. So the drawer itself was through dovetails on all four corners. Um, I glued up that drawer, flushed up any of the dovetails that I needed to do, essentially jointed the front face of the drawer and then glued on the end. Um, I specifically made it oversized. Um, so then I could just true it up after that at the shooting board or with the block plane or whatever, and just flushed it up to the existing box, the existing drawer box. Super easy. Had no problem with it. Looked nice. great. That sounds good. I like that method. I think it's a fun method. Like it's, it's yeah. some, some would see it the as a bit of a cheat. The only thing that's weird is when you I pull like it, it out, you see the top, <clears throat> you know, and so like you get that two-tone look to the front of the drawer front, Yeah, which I think – a woodworker is the only one that would ever notice that. Um, so technically you could like in my case, you know, I, would used mahogany for the, the veneer. Um, I could have used another reddish wood for the drawer front right. and the inside. So it would blend it a little bit more because there's also the dovetails themselves are, wait a minute. I did do that. <laughs> I'm looking at it and going, Wait a minute. I used cherry. <laughs> this I was such a good idea that I did that. <laughs> I don't know. I built it six years ago. Yeah. I used cherry for the drawer front um, and then put the mahogany over the front of it. So it, there's definitely a difference there, but it's not, you know, mahogany to maple type contrast. That's the only little detail you might think about. Yeah. And if you know, if you do, you like use a similar species and maybe it's just figured on the front you can actually sort of think ahead about what kind of edge profile you're going to use on that and make it so that you can do kind of a, uh, a beveled profile and have that bevel go right back to the point where it hits the glue line. And if you can nail that just right, that front veneer piece becomes almost invisible because the eye only sees that 45 degree chamfer and it doesn't actually see the glue line itself. So there's like clever ways that you can, um, you know, sort of disguise it. So it's not as visible. Cool. Um, we actually did skip me. I'm going to go backwards now and get Mike's Oops. question. <clears throat> Shannon's in such a rush <laughs> trying to blow through this. We're trying to do a long enough show for people's commutes here. Settle down. Sorry. I'm so sorry. 
Okay, so Mike says, having discussed moving in the last episode, I had a question. I moved last year, threw out a bunch of scraps, but kept all my finishing supplies. Pretty sure I still have some unopened cans of blonde shellac and seal coat. I know there are rules about storing opened finishes, but what about unopened from the manufacturer? Is the best buy date just to drive sales, or is there some qualitative tests I should do on a scrap piece before using it for my projects? Should I just chuck it based on a date? All right, definitely do not chuck it. I mean, dates can be helpful, and I think they have to do that to, uh, you know, have a decent amount of turnover on the shelf so that stuff that's been sitting there for a long time doesn't uh, get sold. But most of this stuff, here's the the cool thing about finishes. Generally speaking, if a finish is bad, it's not going to cure properly. That's what makes it bad, right? So if you have a shellac that, that just takes forever to dry and it stays gummy, you might have something that's an expiration issue. Uh, if you open that can of varnish and it looks okay and it's still liquidy, um, you're at least past stage one. I would say give it a shot. But if it's got chunks in it that don't dissolve, you know that's something that's already started to cure. Um, but you still want to go to step two, take a little bit of that finish, put it on a sample board, see what happens. If it takes forever to cure longer than it should, you have a potentially failing finish on your hands. So I think that's the cool thing about this. Most of these finishes, you could test them and observe, and you'll pretty much know right away whether it's usable. Uh, Something that's really old and unopened, even if it's good right away, there's possibly, I guess, a chance that it might actually go bad faster after it's opened just because of that extra age. But I don't know for sure. You just, I mean, it's going to kind of depend on the situation. Um, but do not throw this stuff out. Definitely give it a shot. And uh, worst case scenario, <clears throat> excuse me, use it on shop furniture. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> even if it's a little gummy, who cares? Uh, but definitely test it first. And I think it, you should be able to have some visible signs uh, or tactile uh, signs that tell you that this thing is, is no good anymore. Yeah, the shop furniture won't be gummy for long. Be covered in sawdust. That, that ingrained sawdust texture. <laughs> It's like powder yeah. coating. Exactly. Uh, I have so much stuff that I should probably get rid of that I'm never going to use. Like I have like cans of stain from like back when I stained things. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do when you start woodworking, stain everything. You know, it'd be fun to do if, if that's the case. If you have just a bunch of old crap, and I've, I've done this a few times with things I've kept around too long, you play the shake game and you actually go and realize how many of the cans as you shake them it's completely solid. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you've had that in your, you know, cabinet for two years. <laughs> You're like, Oh, I guess I can throw that away. Easier to get rid of it or not. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's already cured. Toss it in trash. Yeah. Perfect. I guess that's yeah, it garbage. also makes it easier to get rid of because you know, it's already cured. So you can yeah. toss it in the trash and not have the trash guy yeah. mm-hmm. throw it back at you and go, oh, it's hazardous. You can't right. throw this in no the trash. liquid waste. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right, I got this one. It's from oh, from Matt. All right, good Matt news. From New York. All right, cool. It says, "Hey guys, I love the show. The forty-five minute to sometimes an hour and a half New York City commute to work every day has become less stressful ever since I've been listening to your luscious voices." Hey baby. Oh, I don't know if that's the right uh, adjective to use, no, but anyway. <laughs> I have one question I've yet to hear a conversation about. Maybe you've talked about it and I haven't gotten around to the episode yet, but I'm curious if anyone has ever had to soundproof their shop. I'm a new father working in a one-car garage that sits directly below my son's bedroom. The time I have available to spend in the shop is few and far between these days, and when I'm in there, it usually cut, it's usually cut short by a phone call from my wife who's upstairs telling me, I just put the baby to sleep, so shut, shut, <laughs> shut the hell up down there. Oh, good. <laughs> 
Uh, the world we live in, she calls you on the phone when you're in the show. <laughs> Any advice would help, but mainly I'd like to hear some some suggestions on if it's even worth doing, product recommendations, or how to even begin the soundproofing process, or should it just become a Neanderthal and strictly use hand tools from here on out? <laughs> I can answer that because my wife does still call me and say, shut the hell up. <laughs> not actually chopping mortises is not quiet folks that's what, actually that's, that's exactly what i was thinking too like what kind of things are you doing in the shop that are like distracting to a baby sleeping because like we paid money for this machine that all it does is make noise like white noise <laughs> that's literally the same sound that's produced by the table saw running or the planer running or the jointer running or Cyclone. any power tool running it's that you know that hum which my my kids absolutely love so like when jr was like uh, two weeks old and i was doing the the floor in the living room i was sanding it and like that would put him to sleep i just stick him in the corner away from the sander a little bit and he just listened to the sound of the sander and he'd fall asleep so nice. i mean just i don't know it really depends on what kind of things you're doing because like chopping mortises you know hammering on things that's going to be pretty loud and pretty obnoxious i think to a child but you know white noise doesn't seem to be that much of an issue i will say that the soundproofing I, I wish my shop was soundproofed for the opposite reason to keep the noise from the house out of the shop because that's more annoying to me than anything. The footsteps and like running around and screaming that's happening above the shop because my shop's underneath the living room or the family room or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super annoying when you're trying to make videos and suddenly like toys are dropping or kids are screaming or they're stomping or someone fell down so they're crying. Stupid kids. Stupid kids. Uh, you know, you mentioned the white noise thing and I don't know if you guys do this, Matt, the Matt that wrote in, um, get, get a white noise machine for, for the kids' rooms. This is something that in every bedroom in this house has one of these awesome white noise machines. And it's not, um, like the electronic soundtrack generated white noise. I can't stand that because it's very tinny and artificial sounding. Um, we actually have these white noise machines that are just a fan, and you can rotate the top to get a different tone, deeper tones, louder, quieter. You can kind of modify it, but it's actual air movement, like a, a giant box fan. But it's just this little tiny uh, desktop device deal with a high and low setting. So if the kids are sleeping with that to begin with, it's amazing how noise tolerant they become when there is that white noise right there in their bedroom. And especially like Matt's saying, if you're running a dust collector and you're using a table saw, things like the table saw, well, I guess it depends on the planer, but most planers, I guess a floor standing planer, uh, you know, drum sander, a lot of these tools are just going to blend right in. Uh, if you've got like a DeWalt, um, you know, benchtop version, like those lunchbox planers, that might be a different story. Those are pretty, those are pretty bad. Uh, even if you have <laughs> dust collection running at the same time, but a lot of these tools, all that white noise just blends in. And especially if you've got a white noise generator, like in the bedroom, um, the kids are probably going to sleep right through it. Uh, so I don't know, maybe your kids are different than mine, but th- that has always worked with, with my kids. It's never been a problem. Yeah. Another thing That's with sample here. here in um, secure facilities, like where there's top secret stuff going on inside the skiff, there's a white noise generator outside (laughs) blocks. You know, they have some soundproofing built into the room itself, but then there's white noise on top of it. Yeah. Mm. There you go. Yeah, it works really well. And here, here's my proof, right? Not just because I've seen it with my kids, but when I'm peeing it, it never ceases to amaze me. How many times Nicole asks me a question 
and the sound of me peeing into a toilet is very loud for me. So she can, she can hear me just fine, but I can't hear anything she's saying. So that's good proof for why you should have a white noise machine in your kids' rooms. So you, so you can't hear your wife talk? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm saying a loud noise emanating from the, uh, a small area that you're in prevents you from hearing anything outside of that area. But I also wanted to talk about me peeing, and that's how this whole thing has happened. Well, see, and here's the thing with Matt that wrote in is, is it, is he actually waking up the child or is it just his wife is saying, shut up. So you don't wake <laughs> up the child. If I know most typical mothers, she's doing that before it's a problem. Yeah. It's preemptive. So yeah. it <laughs> might not even be an issue. It's more of, you need something to make your wife happy. That's yes. the important part. There. Tell her you're peeing and she'll know she can't talk to you. <laughs> now here's the interesting thing. This is going way back, but I did search on the wood talk site. Episode three, episode number three Apparently, Matt and I were talking about soundproofing, and he was discussing soundproofing in his basement and some of the things that he's done. Um, so I don't, I cannot vouch for how informative that is because it was 2007, and it was me and Matt, so all bets are off. Um, but generally speaking, you want to look into soundproofing stuff. There are things that that he can do uh, in this situation, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of it can be work too. You got to be, I mean, it can be like a big time and financial investment to get some of these true soundproofing things in your shop. Um, but things like separating your tools, having some kind of a, a buffer between the tool and the ground. So a lot of that vibration transfers through. So I think in this episode, I think Matt was mentioning using like rubber feet under some of his tooling, uh, that helps to absorb some of that vibration and prevents it from going into the concrete, then into the wall, then into, you know, all the, well, he was in a basement situation. So there's a lot more concern for vibration. Um, but it's, a, you know, a lot of times soundproofing comes down to space separation, you know, so that things, the sound waves just cannot transfer through. So definitely do some research on soundproofing. There are things you can do, but it's, it's difficult, uh, to do it effectively. And go back and listen to episode three because I'm sure that's going to be entertaining. <laughs> no I kidding. Probably might actually go listen to that because <laughs> I could use a good laugh. <laughs> it's going to be bad. I'm telling you oh that. Oh, boy. <laughs> we, we called them chortles back then. Oh, baby. They, laughs. they were chortles. Number three. Oh. It's only two after number one, and number one was really bad. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I think that does a, pretty much does it for the show. Shannon, I've uh, got some contact info. We can get out of here. Sure. If you have questions for us, if you have comments on a previous show, want to tell us we're wrong and stuff like that, you can send us a voicemail, please. Use your voice memo app, send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or just go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and you can type it out. Leave us a comment there. Go to woodtalkshow.com. Leave a comment on the post itself that you don't like or like, or I'm just assuming you don't like it. Because <laughs> I mean, it's wood talk. Why else would you write a comment and say, you guys are wrong? Yeah. So yeah, those are all the ways you can tell us we're wrong. Or you can go to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. We're at Wood Talk Show. You can tell us we're wrong there. Very nice. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Have a wonderful woodworking week and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, before we let you go, just a quick announcement about our summer break. Remember when we talked about the potential for quitting and all that stuff and that we needed to take extra time off to, to stop us from quitting? Well, this is one of those things. So we're going to take a break for the summer and we will be back on August 20th with regular 
weekly shows. So have a wonderful summer. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with our crap. And thank you for not knitting. <laughs>